Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a world. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Today's guest on Around the Coin is Jake Udell. Jake is the founder and CEO of MetaLink. MetaLink.com is the domain. MetaLink is attempting to unite the world of chats and payments. They currently have about 70,000 active users and they are on a roll. We talked about why it's important to integrate chat and payments, uh, what the problems are in today's social media peer-to-peer chat landscapes. We talked a lot about NFTs. We talked about what the trends are, what's happening today, why those trends exist, and where they're likely to go in the future. All fascinating stuff. Previous to MetaLink, Jake served as the head of activation for community.com. So I learned what community.com is all about and how they've become a very significant company and how it's led to his role in MetaLink. So I hope you enjoy this show. I hope you learn from the conversation as much as I did. If you do, please share the podcast. It really helps us grow. And without further ado, here is Jake Udell. All right, Jake, we're live. I'm excited to have you on today. Thanks for, thanks for joining the podcast. You got it, Mike. Um, Let's kick it off with what you're working on. So MetaLink, uh, what was the impetus for starting the, the company or the project? And, uh, and what, how do you articulate what you're trying to do in the world? Yeah, of course. I'll start backwards with for you. Um, so what MetaLink is trying to do is MetaLink seeks to be the most secure and easy way to talk, track, and eventually transact NFTs. We believe you as a, you know, a, a human being in this Web3 world, if you will, um, this new world, uh, you deserve a way to actually own your connected experiences across the internet, from payments to social and everything in between. So if you think about it right now, most people think about cryptocurrency or blockchain as owning their currency or owning the ability to make payments or owning their NFTs. And they're not thinking quite yet about what it's going to mean to actually own your followers or to actually have the ability to own your posts and own your own data. And so we believe this is sort of the inevitable future of giving power back to the individual, and we're trying to make it happen. And the impetus for starting it, I guess, you know, the elephant in the room is that nobody needs another chat app. Um, so why are we building? And the reason why we're building one is because we believe that for too long in North America and in Europe, chat and payments have been completely segregated. You know, if you look at the way that we think about iMessage, Messenger, and WhatsApp on one side and PayPal, Venmo, and Cash App on the other side, they're completely spread apart. And we believe that cryptocurrency and Web3 is going to enable it 
where there's going to be this need for chat and payments to come together, for social and crypto to come together, almost like a decentralized WeChat, if you will. And that's long-term uh, what we aspire to build. And do you, do you view this as, uh, as, as the vast majority of cases you're building towards as new cases? Or if I'm thinking about how often I'm, I'm currently paying someone that I'm chatting with, it's rarely, you know, for every text message I send, there might be, I don't know, thousand text messages to one payment transaction. I don't know what my ratio is, but that feels somewhere in that range. Uh, is that, do you think that that's, that's changing? So you're solving a problem that doesn't even exist yet. Uh, where, where you're, you're introducing a new opportunity that isn't available yet is another way to say that. So microtransactions or yes. that sort of thing. It's what I was about to say, are we introducing it? Not yet. Do we aspire to do so in the future? Absolutely. I mean, you could think about the idea of like creating a meme, owning that meme as an NFT. And then every time somebody uses it, you know, maybe they're paying like a penny and it's going back to the original owner and the penny really means nothing to most people that are spending the penny to use the meme because it's providing a lot of value, a lot more than the penny. But on the other side, um, for the actual person that created it, those pennies add up very quickly when a meme goes viral. And so I could see a world where microtransactions are a much bigger part of what we do. Um, today they're not. And today, you know, when you say if it's a thousand messages to every one transaction, um, you're right. But what's interesting is, we're oftentimes, uh, you know, getting information in one chat app and executing it on an exchange or a marketplace in another app. And that seamless nature of the two. So for example, with MetaLink, we became the first place on the internet where you could see what somebody owns and message them at the same time. Once you're actually able to transact with them in that same equation on that same platform, we believe that a lot of the scam and spam that you see on other platforms can really be disregarded um, not because it's not still a risk. There's certain elements that will always be a risk and every great tech company will get hacked at some point. But it's more so the fact that you're actually able to have some accountability over who you're speaking to. So if you think about the way that social media at the very beginning was, was pretty much chaos, and then Facebook came in and said, hey, wait a second, log in with your Harvard or your Stanford email address and talk to the people that you know there. And with MetaLink, we're doing something similar. So not we're not doxing people or breaking their on anonymity, but what we're doing is saying, look, if you want to chat here, you're going to be tied to your wallet. And that's been a big game changer, I think. And I think will continue to be in the years to come where people want to know who they're dealing with. And I think starting with the fact that you know you're talking to somebody that actually owns those NFTs, you could view their, their portfolio and their collection while you're speaking to them, we think is a really big win for the space. Yeah, it's interesting because it kind of solves the problem of... Uh... Uh, of, of like fake accounts or, or authenticity is the real problem. So when yes. I think of Twitter, I think of Twitter is, is, is like ambiguous authenticity. Some people have their, their Ooh. real name tied to their LinkedIn with all their references and their, their site. You look at them, you're like, this is a real person. Clearly, like they're on uh, websites. I tr like, they're not even trying to hide their identity. I'm, I'm like that. I have my real picture. I have links to all the things. Then there's people who are like real name kind of, pseudo anonymous photo. And then there's people who are just completely anonymous and the completely anonymous ones, especially on Twitter, oftentimes they're like at the bottom buried of the comments. They don't get a ton of credibility, but some do. And we don't, and there's not a connection to know how many people, how many accounts does this person have? Is this person getting paid by some organization to, to say the things that they're saying? And, you know, there's a lot of 
public criticism about Twitter for that sense. And I see both sides of the spectrum. But if there was money behind an account or ownership of something behind the account where I say, this account has a thousand US dollar equivalent crypto stakes in the account. Well, if you wanted to spin up a thousand fake accounts, like you can't just do it for free. Now, now, now there's some, there's some cost to it. Do you see that as a, as one of the avenues there and like staking some minimum amount to claim authenticity on a platform or, possibly, or how do you see it? Um, possibly. I heard about a company earlier that's making it where you can actually, you know, KYC yourself. And if you do, you get a token and then that token can just live in your portfolio. So at least you're KYC somewhere. So People know that you're KYC'd somewhere, uh, even if it's not necessarily KYC'd on MetaLink. Like, I think there's a lot of solutions like that um, that get very interesting. But I think the key here is like, if you do spin up a thousand crypto accounts, which you could do, or wallets, you still may not have the NFTs in those wallets that make it where I actually trust dealing with you. And it doesn't mean that you're not going to get burned by trusting, you know, every board ape owner, like maybe there's one, you know, or two bad ones in the bunch. But for the most part, people that are sitting on a half a million dollar asset in their profile or their collection is likely not going to be the one that's scamming you. Um, and I know most people can't afford that level of digital asset. And I'm not saying that, you know, that's going to be the norm. I think, you know, as far as even prices right now, we don't know whether these prices are too high, too low. The one thing that we know is regardless of where prices on NFTs go in the future, digital asset ownership is going to increase. And as it does, it's going to be really important to know who you're dealing with. And maybe, you know, in this new world, there's a lot of incentive maybe not to reveal yourself and people have different priorities. And I respect that privacy and those people's priorities and want to make it where at least, you know, the wallet that you're dealing with, I think is, is super key, whereas a lot of other platforms are not connecting these two today. Mm. So do you view this as a like public discord, m like Twitter style format, or is this more private message like WhatsApp? Great question. Yeah, currently we've been your holder only chats. You know, that's been the, you know, the community based chats like you would see, um, you know, on a, on a discord or Slack. It's that formatting. And what we've done is we've made it native where the actual process is you just log in with your wallet. It's almost like logging with Facebook or logging with Google. You just log in with your MetaMask. And instantly you're put into the collections that you actually own NFTs from those collections and you can chat with other holders there. Um, that's what we've been today. In the future, we're considering opening up and having more public style channels. But for right now, they're basically group-based channel chats that are determined whether you can access them based on your ownership in specific NFT projects. Mm. And, and the primary use case that people initially realize is that there's less scam. People are not... Uh... Mm. What are people, what are nowadays, what, what's like a classic yeah. scam move that if you introduce somebody into a group and they're like, ah, oh, this dude trying to, <laughs> are they creating fake, like, hey, fundraiser camp? I see that at Elon Musk, whenever he tweets something out, it's like, you know, it's like uh, E dash L O N, you know, hey, free Bitcoin giveaway. Is that, <laughs> it, what's going on now in like the yeah. lightweight, sleazy oh. hacker world? Yeah. Um, there's a lot of, it. I'm not talking about like deep, you know, people who are go really, really technical and trying to break into, no, you know, it's, it's not even, you don't even have to be technical these days. That's what's so interesting. Mike is like, people are actually, um, they're, they're creating social engineering scams and then they're going through their own social engineering scam to contribute dollars toward it and then claiming they got ripped off. So I'll give you an example. 
Um, first off, any link you click and connect your wallet is is dangerous. Um, and, and it's not dangerous like in the, ver- you know, it's it's funny to say it, right? We, we connect our wallets to OpenSea. MetaLink has over 70,000 connected wallets. Like we use the Ethereum authentication standard. We're only looking like, we're only viewing your wallet. Um, we're not asking for transaction privileges and not today at least. And, and the way in which um, you have to earn that trust over time. And a lot of these projects, you know, they launch minting sites where the FOMO of missing out on a mint or not being the first one in there uh, is so large that every day it seems like another board ape is getting scammed. I even wrote a Twitter thread about it a couple months ago. It was like, why board apes get scammed so much? And there's like 80 reasons, you know? And I think that the idea that you need to know what you're connecting to and you need to know that there's a person behind it and you need to know you're clicking on the right link. One of the scams that we're seeing happen a lot, go back to the social engineering, is people say, okay, uh, you know, this mint is live. It's exclusive. It's for right now. Like maybe the discord got hacked or something. And, and the, you know, the person just comes in and says, Oh, this mint is live and whatnot. Um, and as they do that, what's really interesting is sometimes they'll just contribute. They'll go mint a bunch. And then the, your NFTs, by the way, sometimes in these scams, you don't just lose the money that you're giving to the project. Sometimes your NFTs are just all taken like completely. And it's really scary. Um, it's one of the things that's preventing mainstream adoption in this space. And it will get better. You know, when you sign into Google, you sign into Facebook, you're not nervous that your, uh, you know, your emails are going to get leaked. Right. Um, and similarly, you shouldn't be nervous signing in with your Ethereum wallet that all your NFTs are going to be go away. But this is just where we're at, right? The technology hasn't been fully built out yet. And so one of the things that's happening with those social engineering scams is once they've given the money into the project, then they'll go back to the project and say, oh, we got ripped off. But sometimes it's the hacker just sending money to themselves. Um, you know, so it's, it's very complex and very challenging. And um, and I think that, you know, we need better security mechanisms to say, okay, um, you know, this person is this wallet and we can verify it and we know that they own these things. And so we're less likely to fall for something like that. Interesting. So a lot of it is, uh, it, it, do you view a lot of it as, as people tricking people who are using the platform or people tricking community managers or, uh, yeah, yeah, both, huh? Yeah. The the idea that the community managers can, can get hacked and and that the whole discord can get hacked. I mean, it's just, it's just sort of ridiculous. I mean, it's like, how is that possible that it's just so ridiculous? I mean, um, you shouldn't, you should be able to do that. And in this case, the only way that you're going to get hacked by a community manager is if the community managers acting, you know, erroneously, um, intentionally, which is very, very rare. Right, right, right. um, Or if the wallet actually gets compromised. And the wallets don't get compromised all that, you know, all that often. That's pretty rare. No one's giving out their seed phrase that often. Mm -hmm. Um, Most of us know not to do that by now. Yeah, we're talking about... Don't give your seed phrase to anybody. (laughs) We're talking about people people tricking people, not people uh, breaking into machines. Or, you know, no one's hacking Discord. I can't imagine. Certainly no one's... Right. Yeah, doing anything technical, at least the vast majority of stuff you would see. Uh, yeah. Do you do you view, uh, what, assuming that is you know perfectly sealed up, like Ethereum, Discord, none of these are going to get hacked into. And I think that's virtually true. Like I can't imagine Google, Facebook, barring the extreme unusual example of something really technical happening or like some solar flare mm-hmm. coming and just disrupting everything that we know. Uh, do, do you see the 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 fact that people have these nfts in, integrated into their wallets is uh as like the beginning here or do you see this as like this is going to be a situation where i have all my digital assets in my wallet i use that to connect to just about everything i use and in some way that 
benefits me or how do you think about that? Well, I think that, you know, web one was how we connected with information, like recipes on a website. Web two was how we connected with each other, uh, e-commerce, social media. Mm-hmm. Web three is how we connect with value. And so in the old world, we connected around our interests, but in the new world, we connect around our investments. And there's not really been a great way to connect around that relationship today. And with all that being said, I think Chris Dixon uh, over at Andreessen, he's got this amazing uh, sort of line that he talks about where tokens are the new websites. You know, at the beginning, that's all the website was, right? Was the recipe or whatever. And then over time, you can do a lot of things on the web, right? And I think tokens are going to be very similar where they're going to be programmed in many different ways. We don't know what all those different ways are today, but the idea that you can own a piece of the internet, that you can actually, um, you know, own it and potentially these, you know, today, maybe they're JPEGs and they're digital collectibles, but over time, I think they're going to be many things. I think we're going to see it, especially with play to earn gaming. If you look at the two biggest gaming funds that have ever been raised, uh, both of them, which were just recently announced in the last few weeks, both of them are investing over 50% of their fund in blockchain gaming. So the idea that you're going to own these digital assets that you play with in a game and potentially be able to bring them to other parts of the gaming ecosystem, um, that's going to come and it's going to be very, very big. I mean, the gaming industry is bigger than movies and music combined. So I think that we don't really know what it all means today. But we're learning every single day, and I view probably nothing as being anything more than the beginning at this point for NFTs. It is just so early. Yeah, yeah. Is it true that gaming, ga- when you measure that gaming being bigger than movies and music combined, that's total total net revenue in the space? How much money people are paying for movies and music and gaming? Yeah, that's correct. Wow. And I imagine gaming is growing faster. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Why do you think that oh, yeah. is? Why do I think that is? Um. I think gaming's gotten really good. I mean, you look at, and, and I think it's going to change too. You know, especially as play to earn or play and earn starts to gain more mainstream appeal. Um, you have this sort of moment in time where um, the idea of like when you're growing up as a kid and playing a game, you couldn't be a professional gamer, and now it's like, oh, you can. And so it just flips the script, right? When I was gaming, I was like, what am I doing with my life? Right. Whereas now kids can game and be like, oh, I'm going to like win things in this game and resell them for more. And yeah. you know, NFTs are, they, they cater to that um, as social media does too, right? To sort of that, that dopamine driven gambler instinct of like wanting that more likes, more this, more money, more, et cetera. And so I think that gaming is just the, the ultimate form of that. Um, and yeah, it's very immersive and it's very addicting and it's very enjoyable. Um, yeah. And so people get to sort of create their own adventure. It's probably more fun than like watching a movie where, you know, how how long, you know, can you watch a movie for 10 hours? Not really, but you can like keep playing. I don't know. Just bring yeah. here. No, no, I, I think that's right. I, I mean, one of the things that you bring to mind is when Meta or Facebook came out with their video and Mark Zuckerberg was, you know, kind of in his couch in his room talking to the 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 camera there's a flash to a, a picture on a wall and these kids are looking at this picture and it's like, it's got a snake and some trees and it's a picture of a jungle. And, and that to me is the, by analogy, the movie, right? We're watching this two dimensional screen just unrolling in front of us. Yeah. And then it's like, Oh, we put on the Oculus too. And then bam, the snake starts moving inside. It starts coming out of the the picture and starts being around me. And I can start to interact with it with my hands. And it's, it's yeah. replicating more of what our experience of human life is. And that, is just it's more it's just there's more i almost think of it as just an evolution of consciousness there's just more 
consciousness that you can potentially interact with when you have a, especially three-dimensional VR game that is all around mm. you and you're part of, you're, you're meshed in with the whole situation. It's just more engaging, you know? It's like, uh, it's like chess checkers is to that, that, that sequence onward. Um, yeah, so it doesn't surprise me at all you know, when you say that, but it is, I didn't realize it was quite at that level. That's, that's shocking. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So what else, how, how do you view the board ape phenomenon? This is something I, I really haven't been very deep into. I've just kind of witnessed on the outside. Right. I've never purchased a board ape. Why, <laughs> why is, is that just, uh, it, it just, it, it was kind of catchy enough. Is there something more to the story that you analyze is, uh, why board ape in particular became such a popular NFT meme? Yeah, I think that they uh, figured out how to play to the dynamics of the NFT consumer before anybody else had really figured it out. So CryptoPunks came along and they were the first with this generative art style. And Board Apes came along and there was a project that came before them that they were inspired by that had given away the IP rights. And when you give away the IP rights to an image, no one really knows what that means yet. I mean, it's quite blurry, but it sounds great, right? Mm -hmm. And it does give this freedom that people seem to love, especially people that are coming from crypto and have all this money in crypto. They believe a lot in freedom of, of speech and freedom of, you know, the right to spend however you choose to spend your money and all that good stuff. And so, um, and so I think that Board Ape really was the first that did that in a way that just was able to capitalize on the phenomenon in a way that you just have never really seen before. I think the contrast also of like aping into something and, and being bored doing it is, it just was this like perfect, ironic uh, sort of moment in time. And those guys have made a lot of really fantastic moves, right? Um, you know, they were the earliest to, to kind of put out that sort of mutant sort of second phase. They executed that perfectly and they brought in the right team, right? Guy O'Siri is, is a maverick in all, all capacities. Um, you know, he's an investor in our company and he's been just an amazing, amazing mentor and, and, and friend for a lot of years. And he's unbelievable. And so you knew once he got involved too, that these guys were going to take it all the way. They proved it with Ape Fest last year, NFT New York, and it just hasn't slowed down at all. Um, every move they make, I think one of the other things they do really well is every move they make, they always seem to think about their community their owners. You know, you think about Jeff Bezos being customer obsessed. One of the things we practice at MetaLink is being community obsessed. And I think Yuga Labs really led by example with being sort of that first project that just was community obsessed. You notice everything they do, whether it's the mutants or the dogs or the ape coin or whatever that will come up next to the land, they're always providing that return on investment to the people that are holding the apes in the first place. It's a very difficult thing to do and a difficult thing to do well, but they've proven that it's possible and they've made a lot of people money in the process. And when you make a lot of people a lot of money, those people get very bullish on you. It's almost cult-like, right? In terms of how excited they get for you and, and what you represent to them. I was on the phone this morning with a guy who bought five board apes in May for 0.6 Ethereum each. I mean, you know, for him, I mean, it's, his whole life is made by holding those apes today are worth you know, half a million dollars each. He's got mutants that are worth a hundred grand each. He's got the dogs that are worth, you know, 30, 40 grand each, whatever it is. And then he probably got, you know, millions of dollars in ape coin given to him. And he made an original investment of like what, eight grand or something <laughs> like wow. not even six grand. So it's not, yeah, not even right. So it's even less like five grand. It's like, it's yeah. crazy. It's yeah. just really crazy. They've, they've done a good job of providing value to their ecosystem. 
last 10 years, over $100 billion worth of crypto has been lost or stolen, specifically because of poor key management, scams, and hackers. Forget not your keys, not your crypto. Software and hardware wallets have both the same vulnerability, that a single private key can be lost, hacked, or simply just misplaced. My new sponsor, the Zengo Crypto Wallet, is a total game changer, bringing wallet security to a whole new level. You have to check out Zengo, an on-chain crypto wallet with no private key vulnerability, leveraging advanced cryptography called MPC, which has, just until now, only been available to multi-billion dollar institutions. So Zengo, most secure Web3 wallet, is the best place to keep your crypto, NFTs, and assets secured. It's also fully recoverable using their biometric recovery system, and it's also just beautiful. Get started at Zengo.com and use code ATC to get $20 back on your first purchase of $200 or more. That's Zengo.com, code ATC for $20 back on your purchase of $200 or more. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Yeah. I'm curious to get your reaction on this. So I view the this boom and bust cycle uh, as being something that you can observe just about in every different industry. But certainly with the internet and around the 2099.com, people got really excited. They get, people get really excited specifically like what you reference about the future potential value of something. So I buy it today. It's worth this. It's worth, <laughs> now, it's worth half a million. And that that the, the correlation of, of past trends People can people can observe lines better than dots. So they see, oh, the line is going up. Therefore, right. it's going to keep going up. Like it points that direction, right? It's obvious. And and I and I remember uh, around twenty uh, early twenty eighteen, uh, every, every Bitcoin was going up. It was going up. It was going up. And then Paris Hilton tweeted out, "Bitcoin is great. Go buy Bitcoin." And at that point, uh, I realized, and I didn't do anything about it. <laughs> but I realized there's no one left to tell. The only reason why something can can go higher in value is if somebody else is is hasn't heard about it yet that's going to come in and buy it from from where you've bought it. So there's a discrepancy in what you bought it and what you sold it. But when Paris Hilton tweets it out, that's as far away from the developer Satoshi as as there is. There's no one left to tell. So the after after that the 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 price of Bitcoin crashes and then you're you're at a new level, a new baseline. And I, I think that that's especially true, that cycle, when the value of the asset that we're purchasing is quite ethereal. Like we can't, like the value of a tractor is obvious. It digs in the ground. It, it helps me make food. I can observe the value of the tractor. When you talk about 
Bitcoin and money, it's a little bit more abstract, but I still understand the value of money. When you talk about memes and bored apes, you're further out on the spectrum of perceived value and art is in this general category. Um, mm. How do you th think about the, like, wh where do you feel like we, we as a society of NFT buyers and crypto web three enthusiasts, where can, where's the trap? Like, where do we fall into this whole, how, how do you give like a word of warning to reduce the future potential suffering of like a collapse of value and, and a hard reset? Well, full transparency, I'm a big reader and I just got yeah. done reading the Great Beanie Baby Bubble. Great Beanie Baby Ooh, Bubble. Nice. <laughs> um, which had a lot of fun comparisons, right? To what we're witnessing with this NFT market that just doesn't seem to be slowing down at all. Yeah. Um, you know, my friend Blau, I don't know if you know, famous DJ, entrepreneur and, and NFT artist, um, he has this saying that 500 years ago, the U S dollar didn't exist and 500 years from now, it probably won't either. And the reason why I bring up that example is because that's all money is, is perceived value. One day we may not perceive the dollars being worth anything at that point. It won't be worth anything. So one of the things, um, that I, that I think is promoting the fact that we're probably in a boom leading to a bust is that I think a lot of the people buying and selling NFTs are buying and selling to and from each other. Mm. We're looking still at a very, very, very small audience, right? OpenSea's only got about 300,000 active wallets a month. Um, it's not expanding, you know, at lightning speed. Um, and so are we at that point, not where necessarily all the people that have been told about it are going to be told about it, but are we at that point where the technology is just only so seamless that or not seamless, really, that it makes it very difficult for people to enter into that space. And as a result, the barrier of entry with the way the wallets work, the gas prices of Ethereum, et cetera, are making it more challenging than ever for people to come in and will eventually this all crash. So that, that could be one side of it. On the other side, you have something very different from the Great Beanie Baby Bubble or the dot-com boom. If you look at the Great Beanie Baby Bubble, you never knew how many Beanie Babies were ever being created because Ty Warner never really told you. So there was a lot of speculation, which created a lot of mystery that was really great for storytelling. But at the end of the day, as an investment, it di didn't really help it. Whereas in NFTs, there's no doubt we're going to have thousands and thousands of more NFT projects and NFT projects as a concept will get diluted. But nonetheless, they're still only going to always be 10,000 board apes. And so the fact that there's only 10,000, you know, you're not talking about like 21 million Bitcoin or it's like, there's only one, you know, 10,000, like that's it. And so there's always going to be somebody for Bored Apes, I would think that that is going to want to own one of these. And the question is, can those blue chip projects and can there be more of them that there's always the chance that you might get into the next one? And if so, it really plays to the gambler's instinct where people will continue to speculate on new projects and try to push those projects up if they believe that there's potential for it to grow in value as an investment. And who's to say it isn't because these quantities are so small relative to other investment types where, you know, if you think of how many shares of stock a company has or anything like that, um, these are some of the most exclusive communities, clubs, and exciting ones really in the world right now. And so, I still, you know, regardless, the thing that I always think about building an NFT platform in MetaLink is that regardless of what happens with the overall price of the highest NFTs on the market, you're always going to be in a scenario where digital asset ownership, as I mentioned earlier, is going to increase. And one of the other things that I haven't mentioned that continues to fuel this bull market is if you look at ApeCoin, for example. So if you're not familiar, uh, one of the things I, I, in crypto, we always think about like, uh, like uh, yield farming, like you make dividends on, on your crypto basically for holding it. And in NFTs, 
uh, the dividends that you make, I, I refer to them as airdrops. Um, like airdrops are the new yield farms. And the way that it works, it's not an airdrop like you and me standing our phones next to each other and sending it to each other. It's you actually just get something for free because you own something else. Um, so if you own a board ape, you get a mutant. If you own the board ape you and the mutant, you get ape coin. And so when ApeCoin came out, which is a, a fungible token, almost like, you know, a dollar or anything like that, when ApeCoin came out, it was valued at about, you know, most of the first two days valued about between 13 and 15 billion. It provided about $2 billion of liquidity to people who already own NFTs. And what do you think they did with that? They went and they bought more NFTs. Mm. So on one side, that is promoting sort of this, this boom um, that eventually has to fall out, you would think. But at the same time, if this continues to happen, I, I don't know. I mean, it's like, as long as there's more dollars coming in and people value that coin at that, and people can create this almost out of thin air, um, anything is possible. I mean, Board Ape wasn't even, you know, I think that they only minted less than a year ago still. So all this, you know, their $4.5 billion valuation from Andreessen, their $14 billion coin, all of this has been created in the last year. I mean, it's the fastest growing, one of the fastest growing companies of all time. And so it really gives a lot of inspiration to us at MetaLink for what might be possible for the future of Web3 Social. And if you can create a platform that allows these people to engage and connect in ways that other platforms currently today do not facilitate. Mm, super interesting. Do you, so what, what is the community? What's the average? Is it, I imagine it skews male, it skews young, yeah. it skews t t West. I mean, how else do you sort of view uh, high, maybe high risk, maybe from personality type. I imagine it's yeah. creative, um, open-minded. Sure. Late twenties, early thirties, yeah. mostly male, uh, more affluent than other communities, um, for the most part. Um, and that's really sad. You know, we got, we have work to do, um, for two reasons. One, because, uh, if all this wealth is being created, it, it should be being created for anybody that wants to participate in it, not just another bro club. Right. And, and NFTs have not really done a good job of figuring out how to do that yet. Um, nor is the NFT community, in my opinion. There's certain projects like Dead Fellas where Betty's been so good at, you know, at, at really saying, look, our project is genderless. We preach inclusivity. We're trying to bring new people into the space. But for the most part, the NFT space has been, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of the same people yeah. that may have made money doing anything else, making money in NFTs. So yeah. that, that needs a change. And, and, um, and I think that the way uh, for it to change is, is for this technology to get to the point where it, it is a lot easier than it is today. I think the barrier to entry is just super, super, super high, and we need to make it a lot easier, a lot less risky. And as we do that, uh, I think that we'll see more and more people enter the space and almost like having a Instagram profile or something will be the equivalent of having a wallet and yeah. you know, being able to show off your wallet. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And it's, it's hard. I, me, I'm always... Uh, a bit resistant to call it a win before it's a win. You know, it's like, well, if you still own digital assets, then you're you're in the riptide of the valuation uh, volatility curve. So it's like, you know, a lot of people go out and they take risks. Uh, people who take financial and personal risk tend to be male. Uh, they tend to be young. And, and I look at that as like the people who moved out West in America T tended to fit that demographic as well. They go, they go for gold. They dig for gold. Mm. The vast majority, th they weren't successful with it. You know, the vast, I think something mm -hmm. like 90% never actually found anything. So for them, it was not successful. You could say, well, we need more, we need more women out here digging for gold. It's like, I don't know. Do you, <laughs> do you really, how do you know how this is going to end so. up? I, I think so. I think we do, because I think that 
diversity is going to create better results. It's going to well, create better art. It's going to make it. It's also going to make it where there's more. Uh, there's more of an underbelly to like the actual assets, right? If it's only yeah. the same three hundred thousand people, you know, you need the space to open up the same way the internet opened up, so that you have that mainstream adoption that can really fuel this movement um, to, to across the globe. I think that's right. I. I- I think the subtlety to it is you don't want, you don't want people to be drawn into it before they're personally ready to be drawn into it. You know, if I, if I like, Hey, I talk to my wife and I'm like, Hey, uh, Tracy, I got to get you into this. You got to buy some bored apes. And she's like, ah, I don't know about this. I don't really get it. I'm like, come on, you got to <laughs> do it. This company's giving away, you know, 20% off because you're a female. It's like, well, I, I, I don't know that then she gets burned on it. Then she may not get into it for five years or ever. And I, and I think the, the diversity comes naturally when, like you said, technology is easy to use that people don't have to be very technical to figure out. They can be really good at something else. Like I can be a great cook. I can be a great doctor. I can be a great musician or whatever I'm doing. And then I get into it and I figure out that it's not about the technology. The technology is a, it's like the undercurrent. What's, what it's really about is my ability to cook and evaluate cooking recipes or perform the thing that I'm good at in the real world on chain. And I think that's when it blows up because, and that's when it gets really diverse and exciting. I don't yeah, know, do you have a reaction to that, or if- yeah, I just think people um, we gotta we gotta come up with better onboarding, and we just need mm. it to be more. You know, I, I look at like the way AOL fueled the internet, or the way the browser fueled the internet. It was like it just provided you with this portal to explore, and you felt safe doing it. You know, there was a time where you couldn't just enter a URL on a browser because the browser didn't even exist yet. And that's sort of where crypto feels right now. Um, and with MetaLink, we're just we're trying to make it easier. You know, we're not the ones building all of the deep tech solutions, but we're trying to be one of the leading consumer companies in terms of bringing those solutions to market. Mm. What are other projects that you're impressed with or that seem to be growing quickly that you're following closely? Mm. Um, I've always been really impressed with the Clonex guys, Artifact. You know, they, they seem to, the guys that Nike acquired, um, you know, they seem to understand storytelling really well, as does Azuki um, with the anime community. I mean, they've just been blowing up. I think those are sort of the three premier ones. Obviously, CryptoPunks always for having been a classic. Um, and then as far as ones I'm just like sort of taking a bet on, right? It's like there was this one called Shonen Junk that I, I bought a bunch of because it was the founder of Crunchyroll. Um, and I feel like they're going to do some cool stuff in anime. Uh, my friends uh, over they're, they're called Friends With You. They had done stuff before for Pharrell and Jay Balvin, and they just released their project last week, and it had some controversy tied to it. But I think overall, I think it's going to be pretty successful. Personally, I hope not financial advice. Do your own research, but like, I just like it. I think the art was really cool, um, and the minting process I really enjoyed. Um, and yeah, um, I think those are sort of the the, the main yeah. ones that, um, and then of course, MetaLink. We're working on our own ones, which I'm really those are I get really excited about, like. I try to I try to never do something that anybody's done before. So I'm excited about some of the things that we're working on where it's like I don't think anyone's done this or that with an NFT project and it's gonna be fun to actually bring those to market. Uh I can't wait. Uh, and have anything you could talk about now or is that all do you keep it top secret and top um, secret? I don't I don't mind actually. Yeah, we're there's a project um that uh oh should I, should I, should I? Um, you know, there's a project we're working on called U Club, which basically you mint a an NFT and the NFT that you mint is actually, um, you can, you, you keep the rarity traits. So you get something that has rarity built into it, 
but you can actually change the base traits to make it look like you. Hmm. So for example, if you mint an NFT where you're wearing those headphones and you're wearing that shirt, you can't change the shirt or the headphones, but you could change, you know, if, if Tracy's the one that had minted that, she can change it from looking like you to looking like herself. And you could do it on the secondary market as well. So you can always buy it and make it change it to look like you. It's called U Club. And I think it's cool because I think digital identity sort of needs to be continually reinvented on, on what it means um, in Web3. And we think it's a creative, cool way to express yourself while still not having to find something that um, that has that looks like you because you can make any of them look like you. No, that's cool. That's cool. I dig that. I like that a lot. Um, and and how, how do you work it out with a really talented artist named Paper Diamond? He's amazing. Yeah. Cool. Huh. Yeah. Um, how do you find artists? How do most people who are minting NFTs find artists? Is it all just kind of organic word of mouth or Instagram or? Yeah. Yeah. No, you know what's funny is the space doesn't really live on Instagram at all. It lives almost exclusively on Twitter um, and in these chat platforms. I mean, that's really where it's at. Um, you know, we've been able to build this like this community called MetaMint, where people, if they own one of our MetaMint NFTs, they could be in this chat. And I, that's where I find most of the projects that I, I find out about because that chat is just never, ever, ever stopping in terms of people researching things on Twitter and going and joining the chats and trying to figure out, you know, what's actually popular and, and has a great community that's building. Uh, that's usually how it starts for awesome. me. And it, how is the split now between Telegram and Discord? Those are the two big ones. I People aren't using Slack now, mostly Telegram and Discord. I don't think Web3 uses Slack really at all. I think it's Telegram and WhatsApp. And I think a lot of people still use Discord, especially the projects for their communities. Mm -hmm. But... Um, you know, I've never been a big Discord user, hence why I'm building MetaLink, right? Yeah. So I just have always always found it to be a bit cumbersome and I wanted a a more secure option if I was going to be talking about NFTs. Um, and so that that's why we created MetaLink. I, th I think there's certain elements that can really be streamlined from the experience that is currently out there um, that would make it where you don't have to like bounce from server to server to server to get key information that you're looking for. We should just make it a lot easier for you. And in the future, I don't even know if these chat apps are going to look like chat apps or if they're going to look something more like the metaverse. Mm. And that's something MetaLink's building as well, right? The ability to just click on a channel and instantly you're in the metaverse. So that's going to be really fun. And we're excited to roll that out for our community soon too. Yeah, I almost think that people who are building now on, on Web3, especially on this bleeding edge, should 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 probably, I, I don't know, I, this is a question for you. How should you, how should people who are building uh, in this space, think about 2D versus 3D. Like we're talking on a 2D screen, know. you know, do you, do you, yeah. I, I think of NFTs too, right? Like, yeah, there's yeah. the 2D icon, but yeah, the, the 3D one would be so much more interesting. Yeah. Right? I like, I like a lot of the 3D projects. I'm a huge fan of Clonex. I just mentioned friends with you, but I think that the thing about how these NFTs evolve or how the metaverse evolves, you know, some people believe we're in the metaverse right now. Like I'm talking to you through a screen. But as, as we think about uh, the metaverse as what we aspire or are inspired by what it could become, we need to remember that like when Steve Jobs invented the iPhone, we already knew how to work the internet. We already knew how to work the phone. We already knew how to work the camera. And he just took it all and put it in our pocket. And so this is a bit different, right? This is brand spanking new. And no one really knows the behavior that the metaverse will entail um, quite yet and, and how it will take on mainstream adoption. You know, because there were several phones that were actually developed that none of us ever remember that had many of these features already, but the timing just wasn't there. People didn't actually know how to work the internet or do these things yet. And so I think the metaverse is kind of at that stage where we don't really know what to expect, but as a Web3 company, we should be ready for it at any time. And 
Um, and that's exactly what we're trying to do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it just it feels like to me that the world changed when Facebook pivoted to Meta and they made that that announcement with that video. It felt like, yeah, certainly Bitcoin, Ethereum, we have a lot of coins out there, great projects that are built. But there's there's still a, still today, I think. And, and but that gap is closing. There's a separation between people who are building. They're excited. They're all in on this. They're doing this professionally for for part or full time of their day. And then there's everyone else who's just living their life. And maybe they bought Bitcoin on the side, but they're not actively doing anything or paying attention to the space. And those that that's the crossing the chasm. You familiar with this concept mm. of like the the bell curve? There's a book cr- called Crossing the Chasm, where it's like the early adopters like the go out. Curve of yeah. adoption. Yes, yes, exactly. And, uh, and, and the, the, the chasm is like, it's the space where the early adopters separate from the mainstream everyone. Yes. And that when I saw Facebook pivot to meta and say, Hey, we're going to, we're, by the way, we're going to invest billions of dollars into hardware and software to build tools for the, the metaverse, the 3D world. It's like, that's not a startup. It'd be one thing if a startup raised 50 million doing it. Be like, oh, that's noteworthy. That's kind of interesting. But Facebook pivoting, I mean, one of the top largest, it's like, man, that's a big, big bet, right? It's like, uh, we came up with the name first. Yeah. <laughs> Was it after or in any way related to? Oh, we were, no, we were way, way before them. Come on. Okay, cool, cool. <laughs> Uh, what does the name mean to you? What do you think Meta represents? Obviously, it's like a their name or our name. The the independent of of the two company names, Meta as itself. Why are we? Why is it such a common name used in the first place? Mary redeemed a fifty thousand dollar cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun with over eighty casino style games to choose from. You too could win life changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to chumbacasino.com and give them a world. That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I think in some ways it represents uh, sort of the the next frontier, right? Almost like the unknown. And I think that that's probably, um, I think that's probably why. Yeah. Um, You know, the the word itself uh, comes from, I I think meta and mother, uh, madre, uh, material matter all, all come from the same word which is a, a sanskrit word of of origin so if you think of the word mother or mata uh it's i know this because i started a company called uh uh a meta story where we were making stories in like a th- mm-hmm. we we're using 3d audio content mm-hmm. and it was kind of a, i shouldn't say company it was a project that i did for fun and the 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 idea of meta traces back to this, this, uh, really like, uh, 
a philosophical explanation of the world or a philosophical perspective on the origin of things. So I, I think that that, I think when that clicks for people, um, it'll be a, it'll be almost like, a the, the kind of gravity you feel inside of you, the attachment to people feel towards religious ideas. I think me- many people d- don't have that at all. And there's a part of people that's kind of yearning for something that attaches their themselves to the whole universe. And I think that that, if it, if it, if it lines up right, uh, if, if meta really lands it with the tools they're building can be a kind of like, like, like re like Renaissance of a sort, you know, like, um, you know, there's something that moves people over time. There's a reason why religions have just swept through societies throughout history and mm. have caused so much energy, we'll call it for, for mm. <laughs> simplified. And I think that this is the similar kind of thing going on where people feel like there's more to this than just building bored apes, right? It's like, you're not like, are you really excited about the image or is there something beneath it that you're excited about? Is there, are we moving in a direction that you're excited about? And that's why I find the space so interesting. Like, I really personally don't, I'm not into the apes and into the individual pictures, but I, I, I'm like so fascinated. Like, what's the story going on here? that why are we all excited about this? What's the future? Yeah. Of this, you know? I mean, if you think about too, when it started to really take off, right? NFTs have been around since 2017 and started to take off in 2020 during a time where people were really in search of identity, community, um, you know, trying to figure out who they were, who they are in the world, how they connect with the rest of the world. And so all of a sudden it, this comes along and it's like, your sense of belonging can be derived from the fact that not only you own this specific picture, but this many other people own this specific picture or a version of it, excuse me, and you're part of that group now. And so I think, yeah, when you mentioned the word meta and and how it means origin, it's funny because I think that the metaverse will be fully realized when if you and I walk, you know, on the street and see each other, we can walk up to each other, we can say hi, there's no intermediaries. Whereas on the internet right now, we're doing, you know, this call on some platform that you have me on and I'm on some browser that's controlled by Google. And there's like infinite amounts of intermediaries where these are centralized companies um, determining, you know, many aspects of what we can, can't do. Oftentimes they're, uh, you know, they're pillaging our data, they're bottlenecking our reach, they're selling our trust. And so I think that there's this this unique moment in time that will eventually happen where the the hope would be that the metaverse you could just meet somebody on the internet in a way that's completely unobstructed uh, or unfiltered or unintermediated mm-hmm. by a tech company. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Completely decentralized. Yeah, yeah. And well, I, I was talking about this earlier with somebody. There's, there's a. I think one of the traps here too for people who are in this um, early adapter curve is that the decentralization is the end game and that it'll it'll just be like that so that when things are completely decentralized that'll solve all the problems of these intermediaries but it i i view it as it does and it also introduces new problems that you need there's like an oscillation effect of centralized and decentralized that as things get too centralized you lose control <laughs> you, you you lose truth yeah. really you know there's kind of a consolidation yeah. of opinions wow. and truth becomes secondary and that's what we're kind of mm. debating in the public sphere right there's a lot of political agitation about how do we find truth and then when it's completely decentralized 
the same thing happens, right? How, how do we know if, if everyone, if there's no trusted like news sources or journalists and everyone on Twitter is a journalist and a reporter, <laughs> how are we deciphering? How are we coming up with consensus? So it, it seems like there, there's a, it's a, it's a moving forward. Like it's going to be kind of a constant, even now look at crypto, right? Like if you look at the, the number of miners out there that are mining, uh, Bitcoin, they're so consolidated. I mean, there's like six or seven that are mining. I mean, they're just massively consolidating the computational power to get the ROI on mining. And it's like, yeah, that's kind of decentralized, but it's kind of centralized again, <laughs> if you look at it. <laughs> the underneath Centralization is definitely a spectrum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I'm, I'm curious. We've seen how centralization plays out, right? We've seen it. And now we get to see how decentralization plays out. And I don't think that it's going to be one or the other, right? It's going to be a mix of both. And sometimes things are better slightly centralized. Sometimes things are better slightly decentralized. And sometimes things are better just totally decentralized. And so I think we're going to have a, a wide array of options that we didn't have in the past. You know, when they created the Fed, um, they created the Fed centralized because there was no technology to decentralize. We're only what, like just over a decade in from having any sort of decentralized, you know, technology around payments or anything like that. And so I think it's really just beginning in terms of seeing what those opportunities are. And to your point, like full decentralization, every capacity may not be what we're looking for either. But it may be nice to know that we can meet somebody in the metaverse in a way that's not controlled by a company. There may be advantages to that. And I believe we as a society deserve to explore what those may be. Yeah, I agree, man. So how'd you get into this? So you're working previously, you're the head of activation for community.com. What was that? What is the community.com and what were you doing there? What did you learn? Yeah. So at community.com, basically, uh, you know, I don't, I don't trust big tech. I'm sure. You, you know, most people don't. And, um, I was noticing I was managing these recording artists and when I managed them, we'd grow these followers of millions of social media followers on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. It was really crazy, right? Facebook, one day it's like you could reach everybody. The next day you couldn't. The next day you had to pay for it. And the next day is like, oh, Instagram is this new app thing. You got to build on Instagram. Oh, by the way, we own that, but you can't take your followers with you from Facebook to Instagram. That would have been such a natural thing, right? To be able to do like you have millions of followers on Facebook, take them over to Instagram, pay us for the advertising over here. But no, you know, Facebook just got to set their own rules. And what I learned is that every five years, there's going to be another Facebook, another Instagram, or another TikTok. And in the Web2 world, the biggest inhibitor to joining a new platform, a new social media platform, is that you have to rebuild your following each and every single time. And that just wasn't okay with me. And it wasn't just okay, not okay with me for my artists. It wasn't okay with me for society, for small businesses who spend their, you know, their hard-earned time and money to develop these followings on social media, only to be told you can no longer reach your loyal customers that come visit you once a week. I mean, it was just crazy to me. And so I started to think about what would it look like to be able to reach people instantly and directly whenever you want? And would it be best to build another new social media platform? Or would it be best to actually think about something that exists already and build on top of it? And the thing I kept coming back to is, what would it look like if you could text all of your fans or customers or whoever? I mean, we all check our texts you know, instantly. The phone number is the one true atomic unit of identity. I mean, even more so, right, than like a social security number. Like, what am I going to do with your social security number versus what can I do with your phone number? I can connect with you. Mm. And so we thought that the, the artists um, and, and brands that had the most phone numbers of their fans or their customers would be in the best decision 
to continue to win even as social media platforms come and go. So you think about like the Black Eyed Peas, for example, you know, 10 years ago, they played at the Super Bowl. And I bet now they wish they could text all those people, right? Because it's, it's hard over time to continue to remain relevant on social media platform after social media platform. And the worst part is that over time, your message just doesn't get through. Um, it's not like I don't want to go see the Black Eyed Peas maybe at the show. I just don't know the show's happening. That's uh, the number one reason, by the way, people don't go to shows. They just don't even know they exist. Mm. And so what we did with community.com was we built basically the social network on top of telco carriers. It allowed people to reach their fans instantly and directly. Uh, we became the first company to do deals with AT&T, Verizon, and T-Mobile to do a million texts in under five minutes from one 10-digit phone number. We launched phone numbers for everybody from Barack Obama, Jennifer Lopez, Diddy, Weight Watchers, White Claw, People Magazine, um, and many, many more so that they could reach their constituents, their followers instantly and directly every single time. Wow. And how did it go? What are some results of where are they at now? Yeah. Uh, we raised $90 million. Um, we went from five to 150 employees in a couple of years. It was quite the journey. And at some point, I realized that, you know, I had thought the phone number was that only way to create that level of community, hence the name, right? Community.com. Um, but when I started to learn about blockchain and realized that, you know, blockchain and crypto today, we think about it like storing our payments and our currency and our NFTs. We don't think about it typically as storing our followers, our data, our posts. Uh, that's all coming because the same technology is going to be able to be used for both of these things. And as you can see, my face even just light up. I mean, that's a future that's very exciting to me where you can own your followers. You can own the data that you're creating on these platforms and take it with you from one platform to the next. So for example, if you get a follower on MetaLink, you could take that follower with you to the Decentraland or Sandbox or wherever you want. Mm. That's an exciting world where your private keys unlock. So instead of you know having your fans' phone numbers, it's like your fans that have signed up to follow your wallet, any platform you go to that they are also on. So if you you know set up on TikTok tomorrow, it's like, oh, well, you're already following them on all these other platforms. They're already following you here. And that's just never existed because TikTok and Facebook don't play nice together. And so I started thinking Web3, um, you know, this is about how we interact with value. Mm. You know, Web1 being that that sort of connect with information we mentioned earlier, connect with each other is Web2. Web3 is how we connect with value. And as a result, I thought there was a real opportunity to be a Web3 social company that would allow people to own their connected experiences across the internet from payments to social and everything in between, as I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast. And that's really the mission that we're on. I love it. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, why didn't Facebook allow you to port over your users from Instagram? Owned by the same company, I would imagine that the more the more that they can cross-follow, cross the, the more, right? Like if I go to Instagram for the first time and I have a Facebook account and they're owned by the same company, then that parent company has an incentive for me to engage on Instagram. So say, hey, would you like to follow the 500 people you're following on Facebook? They never did that. They don't do that now. I thought they don't, they recommend people or, yeah. Oh, you can advertise to the audience. But this is, I mean, this is yeah. the challenge, right, of, of the Web2 model. And I don't know that it's necessarily Facebook's fault. The Web2 model being focused on advertising has literally stifled innovation mm. because you couldn't use that data. Um, in fact, what they would typically do is they would open up their API. Let anybody use, you know, Tinder, anybody can like see who your mutual friends are. And then at some point they're like, okay, we have enough data from all of you. We're just going to shut it down, bring it back home and figure out how to sell advertising 
um, at the maximum capacity we can to provide this return for our investors. The advertising model is just flawed because the advertising model by nature, it does not prioritize the needs and, um, and, and user experience, uh, the needs of the user experience and the user experience. Uh, it prioritizes what advertisers want, advertisers need. So I have no idea, Mike, the answer to your question of why they wouldn't allow you to take your followers from Facebook to Instagram. The only thing that I could guess is maybe they thought if we don't allow you to take your followers from Facebook to Instagram, then maybe you'll have to repay to build that audience here again uh-huh. and that there'll be more advertising dollars. But Mike, maybe it's not even like that. Maybe it's that Kevin Sistrom didn't want it, you know, and that Instagram said, no, we don't want the followers from Facebook. We want you to rebuild on Instagram because that's native and organic to Instagram. The point is that there was somebody in control of these decisions that was making these decisions on your behalf, on your brand's behalf. And I believe that there's going to be a future where these platforms don't have that much power and these platforms have to play by the rules of allowing you to make that decision for yourself. Mm, mm. I think you deserve to make it. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to ask you this question because I, I think about it a lot and it's, it's relevant in today's world. How do you think the situation of uh, content removal should be handled? Like pe- pe- either individual posts, uh, messages, or whole accounts should be dealt with, particularly ones that are you know, on the edges of what we're socially allowing you could take that where, where you think it needs to go. Oh man. I don't know if I have a good answer to this and I don't know. I could say anything that won't get me in trouble here, either, but I'm going to do my best. <laughs> um, so, and I'm, I'm not afraid of getting in trouble. Either. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Um, I think that the way that, um, I personally believe content removal should be handled is I'd like to believe that we live in a democracy. I'd like to believe that we live in a world where freedom of speech is important. One of the things, there, there's a Twitter account, uh, Punk6529. He's an anonymous crypto punk owner. He's, uh, uh, I call almost like a philosopher, right? His tweet storms, they're so brilliant. And he talked about a, a recent law that was passed in Canada that allowed for certain, you know, the bank accounts to be shut off and all these things to happen with the trucker situation. And I'm not fully educated as I should be in that area. But one of the things that was interesting about his post was he said, the thing about creating laws is you have to imagine what that law would be look like. Sorry, what that law would look like when your enemy was in power. Yes. And not what is going to advance your current agenda, because at the end of the day, these laws will be used by the most power hungry people in the world, because the most power hungry people in the world are the ones that wind up in office in the first place. And can that same law eventually be used to stop somebody from actually running for office altogether? Because if you're cutting off their ability to fundraise or do this or that, can, will they just not be able, almost like the freedom to spend is equivalent with the freedom of speech. Because if you can't spend money, then you can't advocate for the things that you believe in. And so uh, I found that really interesting. You know, if you think about certain laws that could have been enacted, um, you know, back in 2020 when, when things were going uh, really chaotic in America um, and, and, you know, and how bad would it be to see you know, if you're on one side to see these laws impact the other side and vice versa. And, and we have to be very careful with that. And so my general instinct around this is if something's not illegal, uh, then it shouldn't be removed. Um, and, and the law, um, you know, we, we need to create the, you know, the, the, what the law actually states, it gets very blurry because, uh, you know, we're still living in a democracy. I mean, I, I don't know. It's, it's very blurry these days in terms of 
who's in control of what. And right now it feels like big tech is in way too much control. So while I'm not totally, I think that they're, um, you know, the way the media handles them makes it so much more difficult for them to do anything right. I don't think that they can, they're too big, you know, right? It's just, they can't be on both sides and it's just too difficult. But I think for the most part, we need to move a little bit further back where these big tech companies shouldn't be the ones that choose what gets censored and what doesn't. Um, these people are not voted into office. These people do not represent you and I. And I'd like to think that the government needs to, you know, I don't really like the government impeding on much, right? But I think the government should be making these decisions, not big tech. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was very thoughtful. I I, I also think the, the, the big tech companies are going to come and go. You know, like Twitter is it right now, but there'll be the Web3 version that's decentralized. And just like, you know, we can never picture a day. Facebook's it, right? The whole world's on Facebook. Oh my God, Instagram. Oh my God. Like, just like you said, every five years we move to a new thing. I think that's just the this the evolution of communication in, in human civilization. And it just, it'll move to a place where it has just enough centralization as it needs to have. The question really, I think is what, what do we think about what should be illegal, right? We're in a democracy where we can vote. We get a say in what is legal or illegal. I have, if I can just walk up to you now, no one can stop me from saying anything to you if I'm in person. And so, uh, yeah, there's repercussions for saying things, but, the, the, but people put a lot of thought into what is legal to say to other people. And I think when we, when we add layers of uh, permissions or, uh, or cancel, cancel worthy, uh, policy, then you can do that. If you're customizing a community, like, you know, Hey, we're building a community of, of people who are knitting sweaters, right? We don't want any other conversations about that. I, I believe that that's within the rights of these private companies to do that. Um, but if we're talking about like an op a digital representation of an open air town hall, which Twitter yes. Twitter seems to get pretty close to replicating, uh, although it kind of yes. just happened on it, then I'm just, I'm pretty, I'm pretty opposed to, I mean, just removing the president of, of the United States. Just like, what could this person say that's not worthy of him being kicked out of office, but is worthy of him being kicked off of social media? Unless you're just clearly biased and you're just saying, hey, we're like a left-leaning organization and we just prefer this guy not to be in office. So our CEO said, let's kick his account out. And But like you said, I a million percent agree with you that these things go full circle and that when we do something to one person, it comes around and it gets used against us. You know, it's very scary that we only have two political parties in our country. And it's also quite scary that at both ends of these political parties, the extremes are very, very scary people. And so one of the challenges when you make a decision like removing the president from Twitter, uh, you, I, I believe what we resist persists. Yeah. And so the scariest part is that people that are already quite radical uh, may see that. Um, and like I said, it's on either side, but in this case, it's on one specific side. They may see that and say, oh, wow, like this means that we need to get even louder because now he can't speak or we can't speak. Right. So we need to just be louder yeah. and crazier and more radical. And I think that that's the thing that we just typically as society, we just think we can just like shut people up. And it's in reality, that's just not really the way the world works. <laughs> like we, yeah. Not even close. Yeah. I mean, just, it's amazing to me that people think you can just 
can't stop some take someone's permission away and accept them to be like, oh, all good. I'm I'm cool. I'm gonna just take your word for it and go back to work. Like, no, people don't want to <laughs> operate that way. They get angry, right? And then they get violent if they can't express themselves. <laughs> and we know where that goes. So yeah. Yeah. So yeah, good good reminders, man. I think these are important lessons, right? They're not they're not easy to parse out what we should do as a society. And you know, we only have limited power, each of us, uh, as people in this society, but it's uh it's fun, it's invigorating and it's changing too. So Love what you're working on, man. Um, Thanks so much, Mike. Can I say one last? Yeah, of course. I know that your audience is a lot of developers, and I, honestly, I haven't even done that many podcasts yet. My head's been so deep in building our product and building MetaLink. Um, we have over seventy thousand connected wallets at this point. I think that's more than any other Web three social media platform. And so, if you're a developer listening and you've made it this far, um, you know we're hiring. We're hiring engineers that are experts in Elixir and View three. We're always looking for great data engineers. So if you, uh, you know, if that's you, uh, you can feel free to DM me on Twitter. I'm just Jake Udell and we'd love to get in touch. And, you know, we hire people from across the globe and we're interested in building our fast growing team so that we can stand up to some of the things that Mike and I have talked about on this podcast today. Hell yeah. Uh, are you, uh, you're on Twitter? Are you else anywhere else publicly? Are you writing or, um, or are they? Not really. Yeah. I'm mainly on Twitter. Yeah, Twitter's. I, I, I had a blog for a couple of years. I wrote, I wrote every single day for your 362 or 365 days. I wrote blog posts. Wow. That was just that art of a manager.com. But um, I focus more on building than writing these days. I love it. I love it. Uh, anything else you want to throw out as far as people you follow or books or things that you, I mean, you threw out a lot. So there's a ton of good stuff in here, but I always like to ask. I think if you're just interested in this space, you got to just dive in, you know? Yeah. That'd be my, my biggest, uh, I mean, I love to read so much. I read about a book a week. So if you have book recommendations, tweet them at me. I'm ready for it. Sweet, Jake. All right, man. Congrats on your progress. Keep crushing it. Thanks so much, Mike. Bye. Congrats on the move. Thank you for listening to Around the Coin. If you enjoyed the show today, consider giving us a quick review wherever you listen to podcasts, tweet about it, or text it to a friend. We really appreciate all the support and growing that we can. If you have any guests you'd like us to bring on or feedback for us, don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Thank you.